1: Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, February 28th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, one day after the governor pivots on postpartum Medicaid, a coalition of faith leaders... Call on the legislature to take action. Then, the questions a team of attorneys get when they visit an immigrant detention camp in Louisiana. Plus, Jackson activist groups push back on legislation that would strip the city of some of its autonomy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For years in public office, first as lieutenant governor and presiding officer of the Mississippi Senate, later as governor, Tate Reeves held a pretty firm stance against any type of Medicaid expansion. More than a decade after the Affordable Care Act was passed, the governor still refers to the federal health care benefit program as Obamacare. But that changed slightly over the weekend. Reeves took to social media to state he now supports an extension of postpartum benefits, even if it makes some philosophically uncomfortable. In that same statement, he encouraged the legislature to pass a law providing 12 months of postpartum coverage with the promise he'd sign it. It's currently two months. Yesterday, leaders from Catholic, Jewish, and Protestant faiths all came together at the Capitol to urge lawmakers to take action. My name is Heath Ferguson. I'm a healthcare chaplain. I am Bishop Joseph Kopaz of the Catholic Diocese of Jackson.
2: Rabbi Deborah Kassoff with Working Together Mississippi, and I also serve Hebrew Union congregation in Greenville, Mississippi.
3: I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, pastor at New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church here in the city of Jackson. Our faith affirms the value
1: of every human life and we have supported the legislature's past actions to protect the lives of unborn children. However, the commitment to life must not end at birth. We believe that access to affordable health care is a fundamental human right, one that is necessary for the flourishing of families and communities
4: spent 12 years in the field as a chaplain, seven of them in women's services. I know full well how important the extension of postpartum care is, and I'm, but I'm also proud to be a Mississippian and proud for us to be leaders in the pro-life movement. And I'm thankful for the governor's position on extending postpartum care for mothers.
2: As a leader in the Jewish community, I am mindful that I do not always stand in the same place as the bishops Copaz and Kinnaman on all issues having to do with reproductive health. But at this time when women's choices and self-determination is being proscribed, it is all the more important that this essential postpartum health care be extended. And I am proud to stand here with the bishops on this issue.
3: Black women are four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women in Mississippi.
4: This is a pro-life position. I urge the Mississippi legislature to send a bill to our governor to sign. But if they don't, I hope and pray that the governor uses the executive powers available to him to get this done.
3: Because we are in Black History Month, it's imperative that our state legislators realize the value of the lives of black mothers. Collectively, we stand and urge them to pass this legislation, ensuring that the lives, because now they see it as a pro-life issue, they will see the value of the lives and its effect that will have positively for black women and women across the state of Mississippi.
1: The effort to expand Medicaid in many different forms has been going on for the better part of a decade. House Minority Leader Robert Johnson is a Democrat from Natchez who has been an advocate for Medicaid expansion. He tells our Kobe Vance, the governor, has the power to extend postpartum coverage without the legislature.
0: The first thing I think about is the governor clearly has begun to listen to the people who vote in the state of Mississippi. Uh, and there have been a number of polls. There have been a number of surveys. You got doctors, hospitals, patients. You got people all over the state saying, "This is what we need." And then you look at the numbers for babies, uh, infant mortality rate, how how high it is, and the death rate for uh, women and children after pregnancy is higher. We have one of the highest in the country, and then the, all the other you know infant and mother uh, health issues that we have to deal with. So uh, you know the the the, the governor sort of stuck his foot in his mouth the last time he talked about it when he said there's just not enough data out there. And, it, and we are replete with data all over the place, but it's an election year and it's clear that the public says this needs to happen. And we're talking about life and death issues. We're not expanding Medicaid. We've got hospitals closing. There's a, it's really difficult to run away from this issue. So I think the governor finally had to stop quoting national Republican political, Uh, cliches and and finally said, you know, what what is good for the state of Mississippi? Do you think this will have any sway on the House? And uh, Mr. Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, has been outspoken against any postpartum Medicaid extensions. Do you think this will have a sway on the House to take up a bill that would do that? Uh, Now, there's a Senate bill in the chamber currently waiting to be taken up in committee. Well, if I were the chairman of Medicaid, Joey Hood, I'd bring it out. I mean, Philip Gunn is going to the House. He said he's not running again. He's a lame duck speaker, and 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 even if you poll the members of the House of Representatives, the majority of the people in the House are post, uh, support post postpartum, and so uh, I would hope that Joey Hood would listen to him. But all that aside, why wait on the legislature? You know, the governor runs Medicaid. He appoints the Medicaid director. It's an executive appointment. He is the top executive. He could, with a stroke of a pen, tell the Medicaid director, let's expand postpartum. He could do that today. And so it's a little bit disingenuous to say, well, I recommend that the legislature do it. Clearly, if you really believed in it and you really care about mothers and children, governor, let's go on and uh, sign the executive order and, and make it happen. What do you think it means, going back to what you mentioned earlier, about how this possibly shows that the governor's watching polls and that the majority of Mississippians support this, how do you think that changes the game? Politically, I, you know, I don't know. I would hope that the candidate I'm supporting would come somehow come out and say some of the same things I'm saying, that would point out the fact that Democrats have been ahead of this issue all year. Ever since the issue arose, we've been supporting doctors and mothers and children and babies. And I would hope that he would do the same and point out the fact that, we are about Mississippians. We're about people, and we're about really doing something about the life of a child and the life of a mother, and that this late stage uh, coming on board that the governor is doing, uh, we, even though we're glad he's doing it, uh, he's he's a follower now, but it's, it's a good following. It's something that he should do. What do you think the governor could do in his power uh, with with his authority over the Department of Medicaid? How do you think he could act on that? He, the same thing he did with postpartum. He could, he could say to the Division of Medicaid, and he could say to the state, Look, I understand that we have some serious health outcomes that we're not meeting. I understand that we've got over 150,000 people who are working people who don't have Medicaid coverage or don't have any kind of insurance coverage, who can't go to a doctor, who can't afford a doctor, and that this uncompensated care and disproportionate payment, disproportionate share, that hospitals are absorbing that loss, that cost, that's going to close over 38 of them in, in the near future, that... As governor, I think that the best thing for Mississippians is to have a hospital in that county, that nobody should drive 40 miles to an emergency room, and I'm going to do, do all I can to make sure that every Mississippian has access to a brick-and-mortar hospital and that all Mississippians who are working have coverage. Call the governor and tell him to expand postpartum care. Don't wait on the legislature. Tell him to do it now.
1: Since then, Republican House Speaker Philip Gunn has said he will not block an extension of postpartum Medicaid coverage. Mississippi Today reports Gunn received a letter from the Department of Medicaid saying they have a suitable approach for Mississippi. Coming up, the questions a team of attorneys get when they visit an immigrant detention camp in Louisiana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Every few months, a team of attorneys and advocates visit detention centers in Louisiana to guide immigrants through the asylum process. This work is grueling and deeply personal. The Gulf States newsroom's Bobby Jean Missick wrote along on one of those trips and brings us one attorney's story.
5: It's 6 a.m. just outside of Alexandria, Louisiana, and Nora Ahmed is grabbing the only meal she'll eat for the next 12 hours or so.
6: I don't eat. I don't go to the bathroom. I don't drink water, because when you drink water, you have to go to the restroom. When you go to the restroom, you lose time.
5: That time is for Ahmed the legal director for the ACLU of Louisiana, and the rest of her team to meet with dozens, sometimes hundreds, of immigrants being detained at Wynn Correctional Center. In 1,000 feet, turn left onto Alexandria Men Drive. It's a former private prison nestled deep in the Kasachi Forest. Now it holds thousands of people who are seeking protection in the United States. Ahmed and about half a dozen advocates and lawyers traveled there in November to educate asylum seekers about their rights. They met with people one-on-one. Ahmed says she hears the same thing over and over again.
6: Why am I here? Why Why am I in prison? I thought I did what I was supposed to do, which was present myself and ask for asylum.
5: She says there's a misconception that people in detention are illegal immigrants, but asylum seekers who make up the majority of detained immigrants in the U.S. are actually engaged in a legal process to try and get protection here. Ahmed and the team do a group presentation on habeas corpus, a federal legal challenge to Immigration and Customs Enforcement's ability to keep someone in detention. According to the latest data available, Louisiana has the second-largest detained immigrant population in the U.S. But Ahmed and others say that vital information about the asylum process was not reaching detainees.
6: It took us a while to realize that nobody was systematically and frequently going to the facilities.
5: This team was created last summer in part to fill that void, by visiting the more rural detention centers every several weeks. But the detention facilities don't always make it easy for the team to share their presentations. The rules are different for each one. Some places let them bring in cell phones or laptops. Others don't. And getting legal information and documents to immigrants requires hours of printing and carting boxes of documents in and out of the buildings each day sometimes little technical issues get in the way. Take Wynn Correctional Center. In November, it held more than 1,400 people on average every day. But when Ahmed and the team went there, only a small fraction of the detainees signed up for the presentation. That just didn't make sense. We knew, just
6: based on prior experiences at other facilities, that on average, between 50 and 70 percent of those detained are interested in hearing a presentation.
5: It turns out that detention officials only printed a limited number of sign-up sheets. That meant dozens of people potentially missed out on important information and legal advice. When things don't go as planned, it's frustrating, but Ahmed has some mantras she repeats to herself.
6: A big one is you can't let perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, you do the best that you can in the time that you have.
5: And Ahmed says she doesn't want to spend her time as an attorney any other way. For a long time, she was a corporate lawyer in New York. But she says she's wanted to work for the ACLU since she was a teenager. That's
6: a dream that I get emotional sometimes, right, that a lot of young kids have, because you want to provide rights to people.
5: Ahmed is a child of immigrants herself. She says her Arabic last name made her a target of anti-Muslim hate after 9-11. She identifies with the feeling of not fully belonging here, just because of who you are. Now as she talks to people who've escaped turmoil in their home countries, only to be locked in prison-like facilities, and possibly deported, she reflects on how fragile the American dream can be.
6: exported the lore of what this country is across the world. But then there's also frustration, right? When people say they want to come to this great country and then we're effectively telling them, well, it's not for you.
5: Faced with that impossible scenario, she holds another saying dear, to have the serenity to accept the things she cannot change. And the courage to effect change in the system wherever she can. For the Gulf State's Newsroom, I'm Bobby Jean Mizik.:
1: The Gulf State's Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Coming up, Jackson avo- advocates push back on legislation that would strip the city of some of its autonomy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.
4: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier.
7: We band together about a month ago with a shared commitment to let the state and the world know that Jackson is not for the taking.
1: Eureka Bennett Scott is with the Community Action Group Mississippi Votes. She's one of a collection of Jackson residents and activists calling on lawmakers to block several bills that could take power away from the city's elected officials.
7: We are deeply concerned with what's unfolding this legislative session, with what seems to be a clear attempt to take over the city and her resources, as well as an attempt to undermine our democracy, Today we've gathered to inform the community on where we as a coalition stand. House Bill 1020, we understand, has amendments, and those amendments have been made to the bill as of last week. However, this doesn't stop our push to kill the bill. That's right. We understand that even amendments leave us vulnerable to future expansion of state power. That's right. And as a coalition, we will fight this. That's
1: HB 1020 is waiting to be taken up in the Senate. Senate lawmakers recently drafted an amendment to the bill that would eliminate language for a permanent court, replacing it with temporary aid, but it also would expand jurisdiction for the Capitol Police Force other bills in question would block the city from using a new water billing system and give the state control over the trouble system. Community activist Rukia Lamumba says all of these measures would hurt Jacksonians.
7: Kill the bills. 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 That's right with an S because there are many, there are many, many bills that we see including HB 1020 with even the amendments are not efficient to protect our democratic rights as residents of this city, to protect the leadership that we have chosen, who we have chosen to guide and lead us by over 80% of the vote. Our leadership was chosen to guide and lead us and to create the policies and practices that keep us safe. And so these bills must be killed.
1: Many of these bills that target Jackson were authored by lawmakers who don't live or have constituents in the capital city. An activist named Courtney questions why lawmakers are now interested in the challenges the city has faced for years.
4: The Mississippi Republican supermajority has shown us time and time again that they are uninterested in the future of the city of Jackson. When the Jackson Delegation previously asked for additional funding for the crime lab, they said no. When the Jackson Delegation previously asked for an additional elected judge for the Highest County District, they said no. When the Jackson Delegation previously asked for more state funding for the police department, they said no. And when the Jackson Delegation previously asked for funding for guidance counselors and additional support for schools across the city, they said no. So why did it take this moment to show concern for the city of Jackson and its residents? Let's just call it what it is. House Bill 1020 is a struggle for power over our black city. It is a direct attack on our black leadership and the rights of those who reside here. And if passed, it will do more harm than good. It would strip the voting power away from Hines County voters and it would take the power away from Hines County elected officials, which so happens to be majority black, mm-hmm. while creating a new court system overseen by white Mississippi officials and their appointees. And it will also require Jackson's taxpayers to fund this expansion. That's right. This bill this bill will serve as president of what could occur in other areas of the state of Mississippi. History has taught us that Mississippi serves as a catalyst for what can happen everywhere else in the country, especially those states governed by white conservative leadership. We are here today to demand to be heard That's right. and to show the Mississippi legislature that we will not stand by and allow them to wage war on the constitutional rights of the citizens of Jackson. That's right. Thank you, Courtney.
1: HB 1020 remains on the Senate calendar. The deadline for floor action on bills originating in the opposite chamber chamber rather is next week. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.